This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Craig, what's with the fanfare? Gentlemen, start your horses. It's time for the big horse race. All the horses are in town for the big horse race. Is <laughs> the Kentucky Derby was yesterday, right? Yeah, it so was. So this is our this is our Kentucky Derby post show spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> My old Kentucky home, mint mm-hmm. juleps, big hats. Let's Craig, go. Tell, tell me about how all the horses did. Which horse did the best? Uh, the best horse was named Nyquist. The second best horse was the one that I picked. His name is Exaggerator. Mm-hmm. And I did not pick him because I thought he would be second best. I picked him because I I don't like picking the front runner. Did you say he was a dark horse candidate? <laughs> no. <laughs> Zing. Zing. That may be Zing. where that phrase comes from. Zing. That's very possible. Very possible. Uh, Andrew, you don't often play the horses, do you? I don't play the horses at all, no. I don't play the horses either. I, just I was get never really taught. Excited. I, I, I don't go down to the track and, and bet on the ponies. Mm-hmm. I think so, I wait, why like... do you pay attention to horses like the Kentucky Derby in the first place? I don't remember. I think, well, it's, we are recording on Mother's Day, too. I do. Uh, hey, happy Mother's Day. Happy if you Mother's are a, a horse mom, which either means you can be a horse who is birthed another horse, or you can be a woman who owns a horse. And happy Horse Mother's Day. Is not weirded out by pet mom names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know when, I kind of got interested in watching it with my mom and just the three ones that matter just that sounds terrible just the kentucky derby the preakness stakes and the belmont stakes those mm-hmm. are the triple crown races and those are the ones that i will spend time on fun facts um belmont stakes are also what they make with the horses that don't win no <laughs> Oh, that's awful. So don't buy those stakes. What do they do with the loser horses, though? The Most of them still go off and try to breed more winner horses. Okay. But why? I don't know. Why would you want to breed a bunch of losers together? Well, if you're making it to the Kentucky Derby, you've been a winner at least a couple times. Okay. To like to make it to the Kentucky Derby, there's there's an elaborate point system. That's for a whole other horse podcast that I haven't started yet. Andrew, we have to do a horse podcast now, though. We do, but it should also, ideally, it should also be about books. We'll see what we can do. Mm-hmm. You are going to tell us about the book that you read, and I'm going to ask you questions about it, mm-hmm. and then we're all going to go home and watch more horse we're racing. Go off to the races. <laughs> oh boy, Andrew, what book did you read this week? I read Black Beauty by Anna Sewell. Cool. I've never read that book before. I never read it before either, which is why I read it for the show. I actually did not know that it was from the 19th century. Okay, the list of things I did not know about this book (laughs) 
is super long. I yeah, I did not know when it was published. Uh-huh. Um, I did not know that it was Anna Sewell's only book. Nope, didn't know that. Um, I didn't know the whole thing was from the perspective of a horse. Yeah. Surprised to find out about that. Too. And I thought that the horse would have more adventures and stuff, but really this is just you know, a workaday horse. It's not particularly glamorous or unglamorous. It's just a horse that a lot of stuff happens to. Yeah, I think because I'd heard about this book when I was a little kid and I was reading books about baseball or whatever and other people reading books about horses or American girls and whatnot or Americans girl or American girls. American girls. Okay, thank you. And... There were other horses, like Chincoteague is like an island that has wild horses on it on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And I think there are books about them. So yeah, I thought this was like either a real cool racehorse or like a wild horse that goes on adventures. Right. Sounds like it is neither. No, it's not an adventure book about horses. It's just about how you should treat horses good. Okay. What do we know about... Anna Sewell, though, because she was a writer in the 19th century. The book was published in 77, I think, right? Um, 1877, yes. Did I say 1977 or just 77? You said 77, and I wanted, those... to, I wanted to clarify which 77 we were talking about. <laughs> those of you in the know were with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Anna Sewell was born in 1820. She died in 1878. Mm-hmm. And um, her mother, uh, Mary Wright Sewell, was a successful writer in her own rights. She wrote children's books that were popular at the time, but they haven't really retained their popularity into the modern era. My understanding is that they are very religious. Yes, they were a a Quaker family that then converted to the Church of England. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, they were living in Norfolk, and then they moved to London and then they moved to Lansing and then to Bath. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, a couple of their moves were precipitated by Anna's health. Because when Anna was 14... When she was 14, she fell and injured her ankles. And she never really healed all the way. She never walked without difficulty like ever again in her entire life. Yes. Um, so partly as a result of that injury... She was using horse-drawn carriages and, and horses more frequently to get from place to place because when your legs don't work, you find something else with legs that work. Um, and that that um, got her interested in horses and specifically the well-being of horses. Yeah, and it's interesting because she wasn't riding them, right? She was in horse-drawn carriages. Uh, I know that she spent a lot of time commuting to and from work with her father. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's not the 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 almost cliched revelry for you know the bond of the rider and horse at this point. It's like this was she was watching workaday horses. I like the phrase workaday horses. Workaday horses. You said it earlier and I'm in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like Black Beauty, the, the the horse in the book who is named Black Beauty, but gets a lot of different names because he goes through a lot of different owners. Mm-hmm. Um, he mm-hmm. he bonds with some of them more than others, but there's no one person who like it's it's not a book about him and one person. It's a book about him and his treatment at the hands of many people throughout his fifteen ish or so years that the book tracks. Sure. Um. 
Well, so yeah, the book was written between 1871 and 1877. Uh, this was as Anna Sewell's health was sort of fading and um, she dictated a lot of it to her mom. Yeah. She was bed bound, out. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but she did, she did see it published. She died about five months after it was published and Correct. it was, it was not one of those books that only became successful after its author died. It actually did live to see it um, become popular initially, and it's continued to be popular. As of 2008, it had sold 50 million copies. There's an annotated version of The Black Beauty from 1989 that calls it the sixth most popular book in the English language, presumably behind the Bible and like a bunch of others. Well, 1989, that's pre-Harry Potter. Right. That's pre-Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. And pre Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah, I mean this this book does have a bit of a head start on all those, but you'd say it's racing towards the finish line before that. It's not a photo finish. I just <laughs> I know I, like you know from watching horse races that a horse can run from the back to the front of the horse line. Yep, at a pretty fast pace. That's depending on the horse. Mm-hmm. Some horses like to get out to the front, and they only win if they're out in front the whole time. Interesting. And then the so the what happened in the Derby just yesterday was that dancing candy. Uh, dancing candy. Yeah, it's like dancing candy with a Z though. Okay. It was very difficult to pronounce. Uh, was out in lead the whole time, and kind of withered away at <laughs> the last oh, no. stretch. Uh, and everyone kind of knew that it was going to happen. Like you could see Nyquist kind of drafting him, like just like hanging out behind the horse, right? Like Mario Kart. Yeah, like Mario Kart. And um, if the race had been maybe a couple lengths longer, Exaggerator could have passed Nyquist. You could see it about to happen. But mm-hmm. I'm excited for them to duel through the rest of the Triple Crown. Andrew, Craig, did you know that this? We're, we're going to talk the specifics. I think. Uh, about what this book's impact was in the novel, mm-hmm. um, but it like it had a lasting impact on animal cruelty, like anti-animal cruelty people and societies that that sprung up in in response to it. Yeah, it did. It rose awareness. I guess as much as I as much as I hate that phrase in a lot of contexts. Sure, sure. It rose awareness about a few things in particular. I mean, there are a lot of um there are a lot of horse care things that goes into great detail on, but one of them is the uh the guiding rein or the bearing or, um, rein. The bearing rein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it's uh check rein. Yeah. Ah, uh, the um, check rein. Yeah, guiding rein is not right. Ignore that. Um it's a device that's used to keep the horse's head from dipping like below a certain level. And there are circumstances under which that's helpful. Like you don't want it to go down too far because it can increase the risk of accidents. But in Victorian England, apparently it was fashionable to have the horse's heads lifted way up uncomfortably high. Yeah. Like it looks real proud. Yeah. Which really strained their backs and, also, their tails would get cut off because of like it, it was all fashion, yes, stuff. yes. And she Sewell goes into great detail about how cruel that is, and because you're getting it in the first person from a ho- an anthropomorphized horse, <laughs> it seems especially cruel. And so I think this book was used 
um, as literature almost. And it was, it was originally intended sort of as not, not necessarily as a children's book, but as a guide for people who took care of horses. Like here's, here is what you should do and what you should not do. And it's wrapped up in the form of this story about a horse. Yeah. And I, I read an NPR article, uh, from a couple of years ago when they were doing a book club on it, uh, they said there was a story that publishers in the in the states, after hearing about this book, like pirated a copy and then went on to publish a bunch of them, uh, foreseeing that it might be to animal cruelty what Uncle Tom's Cabin was for slavery. And I think that's okay. like a tall order, uh-huh. but it. It doesn't seem a total mischaracterization in terms of its impact, but like the literal the anti bearing rain association that popped up in response to this book, and people taking out newspaper ads about whether or not it was a it was a thing that people should keep doing yeah there's this there's this whole passage about it where horses are talking to each other, which they do, okay, and uh, this is one one of the horses is saying to uh beauty, I think. Uh, to my mind, fashion is one of the wickedest things in the world. Uh, now look, for instance, at the way they serve dogs, cutting off their tails to make them look plucky and cheering up their pretty little ears to a point to make them both look sharp. Forsooth, I had a dear friend once, a brown terrier, Sky. they called her. She was so fond of me that she would never, she never would sleep out of my stall. She made her bed under the manger, and there she had a litter of five as pretty little puppies as need be. None were drowned, for they were a valuable kind, and how pleased she was with them. And when they got their eyes open and crawled about, it was a real pretty sight. But one day the man came and took them all away. I thought he might be afraid I should tread upon them, but it was not so. In the evening, poor Sky brought them back again, one by one in her mouth. Not the happy little things that they were, but bleeding and crying pitifully. They had all had a piece of their tails cut off, and the soft flap of their pretty little ears was cut quite off. Oh, man. And, and speak, saying of humans, why don't they cut their own children's ears into points to make them look sharp? <laughs> why don't they cut off the end of their noses to make them look plucky? One would be just as sensible as the other. What right have they to torment and disfigure God's creatures? Yowza. Maybe this isn't a horse talking to another horse. It's it's it, the The line blurs a little bit because you get um humans talking to each other and the horse just happens to be there and so you're listening to this human conversation <laughs> <laughs> and the horse doesn't the really horse distinguish will occasionally okay. like editorialize <laughs> <laughs> well i want to hear more about this talking this talking horse uh but first i think we need to talk about our sponsors for this week gander okay Andrew, it's a brand new day. We have two sponsors this week. Ooh, it's that's kinda... twice as many as normal. That's, yep. One type of writing we don't do often is poetry. But uh, one of our sponsors this week wants to change that. His name is Kinyo, uh, K-I-N-Y-O. And you can find some of his work at kinyopoetry.com. That's all one word. Um, Kinyo describes himself as a creative in business and in life who has cultivated and mastered many artistic realms of life, including painting, poetry, and music. So he's a triple threat. Hmm. Um, He's selling a 76-page collection of poems called Times Library, Mm -hmm. and uh, you can find that on his site. When you buy a copy, you can enter the coupon code OVERDUE for $5 off. Um, So you can find out more about that book and uh, his work at kinyopoetry.com. And that coupon code again is overdue. 
Like we said, we have a second sponsor this week. It's kind of cool. So uh, our friends Jake and Amir, who run the HeadGum Network, of which we are a part, uh, they're back. That's Jake Hurwitz and Amir Bloomfield. They're back. And it's their first... Where they go? I don't know. They went away <laughs> to start a podcast network, and they've come back with another web series. Um, if you found us on HeadGum, it's probably because you knew about their show, Jake and Amir, on College Humor. And this time, they're tackling dating in 2016 with their new Vimeo original, Lonely and Horny. And yeah, it's we're a, just a couple of old married guys. We don't know anything about this. It's <laughs> funny. I was, I was watching the show kind of realizing that i have no idea what it would take I have to date no these connection days. to this nope <laughs> uh the show is more ambitious than anything they've ever done uh all 10 episodes of lonely and horny are available right now on vimeo on demand and the season costs 15 dollars. but you can check out the first one for free on college humor's youtube page it's like eight or nine minutes long uh, if you like what you see and want to buy the whole series though you can use the coupon code headgum for 15 percent off and that only works this week uh andrew you got a chance to check it out right we both did we both did yeah we both watched the first episode and uh yeah it's the the opening sequence in particular Mm -hmm. sort of frames on uh dating in 2016 as an existential horror show where you're continually (laughs) swiping through an app to find somebody who will love you yeah i i think they're they're going they're like trying to take that to its logical awful end where like or a logical awful end where that just becomes all consuming and you don't what happens to the people who don't know they've they can't see the forest for the trees they're just dating all right. the time and then um amir's character is a jerk to, yeah. to put it lightly <laughs> and and the show's sort of lampooning some aspects of like ultra male behavior and like the pickup artist culture in ways that um i think some people will find interesting so yeah and jake directed it and it's pretty pretty wonderfully shot for the the lean show that it is i was really impressed so yeah. uh, you should go check it out you should go to vimeo.com slash lonely and horny and don't don't like misspell it just like use those words don't put anything else in there because i don't know what you're gonna find <laughs> yeah. go to vimeo.com slash lonely and horny and if you order the series remember to use the coupon code headgum for 50 percent off that's vimeo.com lonely and horny coupon code headgum 15 percent off this week only do it Hey, who's ready for more horse talk? I am me. I'm raising my hand. I okay. am I am chomping at the bit for more horse talk. You are champing at the bit. Mm-hmm. Chomping at the bit is not the phrase. Did you just well actually me on air? I did. Um, yeah, champing at the bit is right. Way to be prescriptivist about language, Andrew. It's clearly um, become chomping through years of people being idiots. Some people considered chomping at the bit wrong, according to Grammarist.com. Some people, including Andrew some A. Cunningham. People. Well, it's like it's one of those things that bugs me, like chomping at the bit, and like when you say that something is coming down the pipe with a P, where it's actually coming down the pike. Coming down the pike has never made sense. When um, someone says that giving someone the finger is flicking them off, that's one that I hate. Oh, oh no, that one's actually flipping. that one's incorrect. That yeah. one is wrong. Yeah. We can get together on that one. That one is born of childhood misunderstanding and not having an adult that you can go ask about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, flicking is what you do to boogers. Flipping is what you Ew. do with the bird. Ew. Tell I me about guess. this talking horse. That's gross. 
Okay, um, I'm chumping at the beat at the beat for it. Let's go. I'm gonna chump your beat. Stop. Um, <laughs> so yeah, things I didn't expect. The whole book is told from the perspective of a horse, like I said, and it it's in the first person. And oh it was, heck it, yeah! It wasn't the first book I don't think to do this to be told like from the perspective of an animal, but I do feel like it launched a thousand bad high school fiction essays told okay. from the perspective of a ladybug or something like it's the go-to thing when you want to make your piece feel unique yeah i feel like it's it's due to its quality is regarded for for doing so and being innovative with it i'm sure someone in the 19th century was writing stories told from the point of view of dogs and stuff yeah and there were certainly I was just reminded of like there's a passage in Gulliver's Travels, right, where he like hangs out with horses and starts acting like a horse. <laughs> I haven't read that. I saw the animated movie, or I, I don't even know if it was a movie. I saw the cartoon version of you it. You saw the Wishbone, I bet. No, not the Wishbone. I actually okay. didn't watch that that much Wishbone. Yeah, me neither. Or that much Ghost Rider. Oh man, that's a let's do a Ghost Rider podcast. Okay. First, tell me about this horse. What is this horse's deal? You've spent a lot of time in this horse's mind. Mm-hmm. What's up with Black Beauty? Okay. Black Beauty is a black horse who's uh-huh. very pretty. Okay. To start, and you basically, you you follow this horse through its entire life. It doesn't, it's not dead at the end or whatever, but it does sort of end on a, and so I lived out the rest of my days in peace, fade to black. Okay. Um, fade to black beauty yeah (laughs) and it's yeah it is written sort of as an instruction manual in a lot of places so first person instruction manual so tell yeah we get to black beauty and black beauty is describing to us the process of how he was broken in and how his owners got him used to like loud noises and things and it's basically it it says the way that a horse is broken in and the way that it's brought up at first influences its disposition for the rest of its life. And so Black Beauty, even one treated poorly, is always doing his best. Huh. But there's this other horse named Ginger who was poorly treated. And even though good owners can still like bring out the best in Ginger, she will kick and behave poorly when she is mistreated. Can you tell me any more specifics about the breaking process? As someone who does not know anything about horses, what does this book describe about that? Like, what is what does that mean to a horse? Because all I know is that it's like if you if a horse is broken, then they'll do what you tell them to do. Unless they're feisty. Um, Everyone may not know what breaking in is, therefore I will describe it. It means to teach a horse to wear a saddle and bridle and to carry on his back a man, woman, or child to go just the way they wish and to go quietly. Besides this, he has to learn to wear a collar, a crupper, and a breeching and to stand still while they are put on. Then to have a cart or a chase fixed behind so that he cannot walk or trot without dragging it after him, and he must go fast or slow just as his driver wishes. He must never start at what he sees, nor speak to other horses, nor bite, nor kick, nor have any will of his own, but always do his master's will, even though he may be very tired or hungry. But the worst of all is, when his harness is once on, he may neither jump for joy nor lie down for weariness. 
So you see this breaking in is a great thing. Is it a great thing or it's I'm like not, a big thing? I'm not sure if this is the the human author of Black Beauty sort of putting words in this horse's mouth <laughs> or if it's great in the sense of like momentous. Okay. That's so, of, that's what kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't okay. And then it goes it, it goes through the process of like shoeing the horse and, and that kind of stuff. Um that gets yeah. like drilled into or like nailed into the hooves, right? Uh, then he took a piece of iron the shape of my foot and clapped it on and drove some nails through the shoe quite into my hoof so that the shoe was firmly on. My feet felt very stiff and heavy, but in time I got used to it. Sometimes I like walk through my house and if I've like taken the garbage out and like a rock from the street like comes in on the bottom of my shoe and then I like step on it, that like ruins my day for mm-hmm. 15 minutes mm-hmm. at least. Well, getting a rock stuck in your horseshoe is no treat either. Oh, gosh. As Black Beauty learns. Oh, no, really? Rocks in your horseshoes? Yeah, so let's talk about how the book is structured a bit. Sure. Um, Black Beauty starts off life being very well treated by the people who own him, and then he's sold because you sell horses. Okay. And most of the book is him bouncing back and forth between good owners and bad owners. Um, mostly he is being used to pull carriages. There's a mm-hmm. whole, the biggest chunk of the book where beauty has one job. He's a cab horse in London. Okay. I was going to ask guy named where. Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jerry. Yeah. Jerry who treats him real well, Okay, but who <laughs> gets hypothermia or something and is told by his old timey doctor not to be a cab driver anymore. No, Jerry. Yeah. Sorry, Jerry. Sorry, Jerry. Jerry. I like Jerry's epithet, Jerry who treats him well. Yeah. In Jerry, all caps. Jerry good guy. Jerry who treats him well. Okay. So we can't so we can't live with Jerry anymore. No. But so so yeah, it's it it goes back and forth between good owners and bad owners and then after Jerry comes a very bad time where Black Beauty basically wishes that he was dead. Oh no. Because he's being so badly treated, but then at the end he's sold to some people and one of the people who's taking care of him just happens to be a guy who is a boy on the farm that he was originally brought up on. Okay. Okay. And so he's reunited with him and, and the boy, I think his name is Joe recognizes beauty in the first part of this book. There's a Joe and a John and a James, I think. And I just completely (laughs) did not, I could not keep track of who they all were, especially because they all then fade out until this one guy, maybe Joe, comes back at the end of the book. I'm Joey John James. Welcome to my farm. The yeah. James John Joy Farm. <laughs> so um, that's, the, that's the arc for that's Black the Beauty. the arc, yeah. It's not, it's not an adventure story with a horse. It's not like Milo and Otis for horses. <laughs> okay. What? So, okay. So the horse gets it's not a broken. hero's journey about a horse. No, of course not. Of course not. It's a social commentary, I think, through mm-hmm. a horse's eyes. Yes. Um from the mouths of horses. <laughs> um how does Black Beauty feel about this stuff? Like how does Sewell endow him with human emotion? Because I think though if what she's doing, right, is to engender sympathy for the plight of horses or how we treat them and could treat them better. You know, the fast track to that, like like you've told us, is put this book in the first person and have a horse just talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> so how does Black Beauty feel 
about it. You said that at one point he wishes he was dead. Mm-hmm. In general, how does he like being a horse? You, I mean, you. He does like being a horse when he's being treated well. So when he's got people who aren't using the check rein and and tightening his head up too much. And when he has people who feed him the right stuff and who take good care of him, he likes being a horse. Um, okay. And he's always doing his best. But when he has people who treat him poorly, he says, you know, I am uncomfortable or I want I want to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> now, are, is he hanging out with other horses while this is happening? You mentioned Ginger before. Occasionally. Um, there, there are a few other animals. The two that factor in the most heavily, I guess, are Ginger who early on shows us what happens when horses are not treated well. What does happen? I mean, they. Uh, I already told you. Try to pay attention. No, but I. you said that like something bad would happen to her or him. I think Ginger's, Ginger's a girl horse. Okay. A lady horse. A, la- a, ho- a horse mother. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that ominously as if like... You, we know what happens to horses. No, I'm just like the beginning part of the book is here are some horses having a good time. And Ginger's, <laughs> Here's our horse party. Ginger's story in this early part of the book is the only, the first indication you get that not all will always go well for these horses. It's the first foreshadowing of some of the pain and misery that is to come for poor Black Beauty. Okay. And then there's this other horse, Captain Great who, name for a horse. Yeah, who works uh, for for uh, Jerry with Black Beauty. <laughs> okay. And he was a war horse who, okay. Ooh. Yeah, who rode into battle. And when his owner was on top of him, when his rider was on top of him, he was brave and he would just run right up to the cannon. He would be totally, totally cool boss horse. But <laughs> then one day his rider got shot off the top of him and he was so scared. Okay. And that's a story about being a war horse. Is that he lost his rider and he got scared. Yeah, I guess it's about, again, like if if you have a good rider, then you're a good horse. You're in a good shape as a horse. Is there a real connection to the humans in in Black Beauty? Like, does he really bond with Jerry? Yeah, or he other good people. When he has good things to say, when Beauty has good things to say about the people who own him, he definitely thinks them. He's he says, you know, I'm I'm happy, or I got more healthy, or I would have been happy to stay at this place my whole life. Um, and then we also a lot of the book is conversations between humans and Beauty just happens to be there, like a the proverbial horse on the wall. <laughs> I'd love to be a horse on the wall for that conversation. Yeah, and, and beauty is sort of editorializing, and then you're and you're getting these snippets of of someone else's opinion. Jerry, in particular, is pretty preachy. How so? Um, he likes the Bible and he hates drunkards. And in general, the book likes the Bible and hates drunkards. Um, there are multiple occasions where being an alcoholic or being in the drink is explicitly connected with making you a bad person. Like there's this one, there's this one farrier, I think who is a pretty good guy and who knows how to treat horses, but he has a penchant for drinking. And so Mm. one night he gets drunk and doesn't notice that beauty, one of the nails in his shoe is loose. And so he gets on beauty and rides, rides, rides and makes him go really fast. And his shoe flies off and beauty's just trying his best because that's what he does. 
but then he gets onto these sharp cobblestones with no shoe on and like falls and flings the rider off and the rider dies and beauty's knees are scarred up in a way that like ruins him. Oh no. Like aesthetically, like it makes him harder to sell because people who are coming to buy a horse think like, he might oh, be oh, this yeah. horse fell. So I don't want to buy this horse. Oh man. So, okay. So from a horse's point of view, being drunk means that you will be bad at taking care of the horse, which is true. Not That's... even just from a horse's point of view, but there's, <laughs> so this is from Jerry. Um, I only wish all the drunkards could be put in a lunatic asylum instead of being allowed to run foul of sober people. If they would break their own bones and smash their own carts and lame their own horses, that would be their own affair. And we might let them alone. But it seems to me that the innocent always suffer. And then they talk about compensation. You can't make compensation. There's all the trouble and vexation and loss of time. Besides losing a good horse, that's like an old friend. It's nonsense talking of compensation. If there's one devil that I should like to see in the bottomless pit more than another, it's the drink devil. Oh, Jerry. And he's, is Jerry just saying that to like a passenger in his cab? No, he's saying it to his boss at the cab place who okay. knows that Jerry's a good dude. Even though some of the other cabbies make fun of Jerry because they don't think they don't think Jerry's ever going to get ahead, you know, taking Sundays off and treating his horses good and whatever. Yeah, but he's living the good horse life with his horse friends. Yeah. Beauty's definitely happy with Jerry, happier than he is with a lot of the people who came before and after Jerry. Are there any other like, Im- v- like vignettes with Beauty and and someone who kind of changes his opinion of being a horse or being a horse trying his best, like Jerry? Because Jerry seems like the perfect fit for Beauty. He is pretty good. Um, I'm trying to find anything in particular. It's really. I mean, the book, it's split up into four books, by which I mean like books like The Lord of the Rings is split up into six books. Yeah. Um, And there's, you know, one is is Beauty being raised and everything's cool. Mm -hmm. Part two is Beauty is sold to a lady, like a noble lady, a noble woman um, who makes him raise his head up too high and generally like it's under this lady's care that his knees get all banged up. Um, and then book three is mostly Jerry and book four is mostly the dark times leading up to the good times at the end. Okay. Um, so yeah, if the, if the book has any axes to grind other than be nice to horses, sure. <laughs> it's, it's don't drink too much. I think is a big one. Okay. Number two is religion is good. Um, sure. <laughs> there's a particular passage I'm trying to find. And then um, the gentry should think more about the working person. Okay, cool. Because there are a couple of instances okay. where beauty is owned by people who want to treat him well, but can't. Because ah. whoever they're working for is like either loading the their carriages down too much or they're making them run, run, run all the time. Cause they, they didn't think ahead. Like there's a, there's a butcher who owns beauty for a while and beauty is used to make meat deliveries and like the gentry won't order meat ahead of time. So beauty's always got to run, run, run everywhere. And it's just, it's not good for him. Hmm. So that's a thing I was reading a little bit about this, uh, 
and prep for the show, like our relationship to horses 150 years ago in the industrial world was way different than our relationship to horses now. They were literally workhorses. Like, yeah. When I hear, if someone says I own horses today, I assume they're being used for dressage. Yeah, just for pleasure stuff. I assume they're dancing horses or racing horses or fun time, like take a lap around the track horses. But we have cars now and we've had cars for over a century. And the I, I imagine that what she's kind of fighting against is here's this animal that we've been using to just get stuff done for of over a millennia or two yeah, now. They're like our partners in in life and we should treat them better. Yeah. Yes. I, I know? guess like and and it's kind of I tr- it's one of those things where you try not to I think if I thought harder about like agribusiness and uh like cattle livestock cities and stuff like that like it would be harder for me to eat meat because I am not a vegetarian, um, and I don't I don't feel the like political call to. We've talked about activism on the show before. Um, I don't feel that call in me, but I do get squeamish if I think too hard about how we treat the chickens and the cows that I eat all the time. Yeah, yeah. It- <laughs> I guess it all it all comes down to what you can and want to ignore so you yes. can keep living your life the way that you are accustomed to living your life. Yes, certainly. And how much privilege you have to be able to live your life that way. And and that seems to be what you're getting at with the nods to kind of a little bit of class tension, right? There's a, there's a little bit of class tension, there's a little bit of just be good, be excellent to each other, or whatever. Um, be totally rad to each other. Yeah, to to get a little Bill and Ted on you for a second. Um, yeah, and then there's just a lot of it. Feel there are a lot of little parables almost. Okay, where Sewell and Beauty and whoever are, I don't know. Preaching is maybe too strong a word that makes it sound a little sanctimonious in a way that it. I don't think it quite is. But perhaps the literal best verb is preach. Yeah. Okay. Um, So after this, we continued our journey. And as they got out of the cab, our friend was saying, my doctrine is this, that if we see cruelty or wrong, that we have the power to stop and do nothing. We make ourselves sharers in the guilt. Okay. And it's that that's kind of the worldview that this book espouses is. And and there, there are several passages where someone else is mistreating horses and then a concerned citizen runs up and is like stop treating those horses so bad and the <laughs> the person who's mistreating them who is invariably drunk is keeps whipping them and just ignores the person and then the person like turns them into the authorities or something and they're fined and the good guys win in the end okay that that happens at least twice that some drunk person <laughs> is mistreating horses. So it's really it's really ticking all these this book's boxes. Now are these almost exclusively like is Black Beauty almost always in the city? Or does or does Black Beauty go out and do farm work? 
it's there's not really a lot of farm work there's some of it is more rural than others of it but i feel like it's mostly happening in the you know the countryside where the gentry go to get away from the city sure sure so if you're thinking about like bronte novels like every every country home that a bronte novel ever took place in that's the kind of place where black beauty is hanging out most of the time okay um he is in london for the cab driving stuff specifically okay but when he starts doing that it's made clear to you the reader that he has no experience in big cities he has no experience in london but jerry's a good guy and he trusts jerry and jerry trusts him and that helps him you know that that helps him resist the urge to be skittish because he knows he has a good owner who knows what he's doing hmm okay so i don't know like i don't know that there's that much more to talk about i mean it's a pretty short book why do you think people love it so much? Like, why do you think it's endured? Take a, you won't, you might not get it in one. You might get it in one. I believe in you. I might not get it in any. But <laughs> That's possible. But aside from, yo, people like horses, because I think that doesn't necessarily help because I think this book started part of the yo, people like horses trend. <laughs> Yeah, but in the present day, like that trend is just yeah. up and up and running. Yes. I think that yeah, as a children's book, it is interesting. Maybe uh this this might be like an early chapter book. Sure, sure. For people and maybe they won't have experienced qu- quite so many books from a first person animal's perspective that and, and not in the red wall sense or the watership down <laughs> sense, but <laughs> Animals that exist in our actual world. Yeah, it's just describing the actual reality of humanity. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's, yeah, it's partly that. It's partly that it does have this very wholesome sort of moralizing that happens in it, especially if you were religious or specifically Christian, I guess. I think you could see this as a, as a book that kids would want to read that tries to instill some of those values without feeling too Bible without, schooly about it. You without know? one of the horses being Jesus. Right. Like, the, yeah. the Jesus of horses. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. Stop it. <laughs> I like I like to think that you wouldn't find your way to those if not for me being here, but I don't know that that's true. I think you'd just shout them out into the world. Or just inflict them all on Susanna. Oh, So gosh. there is a safety valve in this pocket, even though she <laughs> listens, and so it'll get around to her eventually. But Yeah, to what you're saying, it sounds like the Quaker upbringing of Sewell actually had a, had a pretty large impact on her. It doesn't sound... While... The, while Jerry, or I think you said earlier, used the word doctrine, mm-hmm. um, it sounds a little more open and uh, broadly good-natured to include horses of all of all creatures. Uh-huh. Um, God's most beautiful creatures. But God's most beautiful creatures than your kind of stereotypical Church of England at the time. Um, interesting. Do the horses have religion? Not really. 
I'm just they trying to get go into to the, the horse they culture. They don't go of this to book. horse church or whatever, but okay, they are. I mean, it is the 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 phrase "God's creatures" or that that sense of things existing because God made them is is implied mm. throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the many of the best characters, or you know, best in the moral system that this book has constructed, many of the best characters are church-going people who talk about God a lot. Jerry specifically, but okay, it happens elsewhere too. Um, and the the virtues of using Sunday as your day of rest that's a big that's a big thing. There's this guy called Sorry Sam or something. It's some something CD Sam. There you go. Oh boy. Um and CD Sam is, you know, he's driving his horses hard and he's really sick, but it's because he's so poor and he has to rent he doesn't own his own carriage and horse. He has to rent them and so he has to make a whole bunch of money before he can even start earning wages for himself because he already has to pay the rental fees yep, and yep. the um, the license fees and that sort of stuff. And so he comes in and he's sick and he rants to everybody who's hanging out at the like the dispatch center, I guess, <laughs> for horse cabs. <laughs> and so this guy, this guy comes in and tells them that Sam is sick and then he comes in the next day. And um, so the the governor here is the guy who runs the horse dispatch center. Um, the next morning, the same man came again. How is Sam? Inquired the governor. He's gone, said the man. What? Gone? You don't mean to say he's dead? Just snuffed out, said the other. He died at four o'clock this morning. All yesterday he was raving, raving about Skinner and having no Sundays. I never had a Sunday's rest. These were his last words. No one spoke for a while. And then the governor said, I'll tell you what, mates. This is a warning for us. End of chapter. Huh. See, that's that interestingly like blends the responsibility of a civic society of like a civilized society with the religious the concept of a day of rest. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Because it's that's I mean, that's I don't know. That reminded me. This is happening before organized labor was a big thing yes. i think i'm yeah. i'm i'm thinking specifically of um turn of the century sort of early 1900s union sort of stuff and yet we're we're this is being written on the cusp of that right right yeah. so you've got that okay we have this new capitalist industry machine that's churning out stuff like never before and isn't that great and we've never been wealthier uh, but what does that actually mean for the people who have to do it? Um, and it's I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, this is of a time when stuff like, I don't know, we just read those two Hugo novels. Uh, Upton Sinclair is not far down the line from here, writing The Jungle. Like I think these these novels that are grappling with the effects of the Industrial Revolution um, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. Again, what, like, I don't... I'm I'm reading something on the on the History Channel website right now. About... <laughs> well, <laughs> I just I I we sometimes we talk about stuff like the labor movement and whatever, and we have kind of a sense of how it unfolded. But then you research it, and our sense isn't quite right. Sure, so, hit me. Especially in America, the labor movement 
Um, it says the earliest recorded strike occurred in 1768. Okay. Uh, when New York journeyman tailors protested a wage reduction. Um, I think it definitely swelled and in the mid to late 1800s and into the early 1900s, it, it definitely um, it became more recognizably organized and modern and, and stuff. But yeah, it wasn't like it was not a thing in 1870, no. whatever. Yes. I think, yeah, you're referring to like, by the time you get to the early 20th century, unions are big enough that when you're getting yeah, people into, are, yeah, you got to bust them. You got to bust them. <laughs> Because Bustin made made him feel good. Yeah, Bustin made Teddy Roosevelt feel good. <laughs> so, Andrew, had you have you ever ridden a horse? I have not ridden a horse. I think I was on a pony once. I don't know. Pony's not a horse. I know it's not. I don't know what I would do. Quit trying to pass the pony off as a horse. We've had I'll this conversation a million I times. I will stop. I will stop it finally. Thank after you. This episode. Thank you. Uh. Yeah, so for me, horses are just this big mystery creature that could <laughs> kill you. Because <laughs> I don't really know much about what... It, I really have no concept of what it takes to like take, take care, care of a horse. horse. Yeah, no, me neither. Even, I mean, aside from the stuff that I read about in Black Beauty. That's what I'm saying. Like, Do you think if I bought you a horse, you could take good care of it now? I would at least be able to take a crack at it <laughs> i know that you got that's not what you're supposed to do to the horse you Andrew. Gotta, no not i'm not gonna take a crack at the horse but i think i think it would take so if you took someone who had read black beauty uh-huh. and someone who had not read black beauty and they had the, the same amount of horse experience otherwise well, to say gave, zero you gave each of them a horse uh huh. The person who had read Black Beauty, their horse would definitely live longer than the <laughs> other horse. I'm not saying anything else about how long that time difference is in in days or anything, or minutes but, or seconds or years. <laughs> if you do a real good job, I know that I'm not supposed to use the the checking rein too much, and that horses like oats and bran and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I can take care of a horse. Thank you very much. What would you name it? Black Beauty. Great, perfect. <laughs> but it's like a brown. It's a chestnut horse. <laughs> I named it after the book. Yeah, because it's a black, beautiful horse. Mm-hmm. Find an ugly. Horse. An ugly white horse. <laughs> Andrew, before... And then it would be an ironic horse name. The oh, Black Beauty, right? <laughs> I like to name things sarcastically. You good? I think I'm okay. If you're going to laugh, at least do it so the mic picks it up. I, don't, I can't. It's not the way that I laugh sometimes. Okay. I can't. I don't laugh loudly for his sustained periods of time. Okay. I. I. It bursts out of me like a horse out of the gate. Uh, <laughs> Andrew. Sometimes we get email okay. into overduepod at gmail dot com, and if people have their favorite horse names, I think they should send them there. Or if you have a horse, or if Black oh, Beauty made you buy horses, just tell us your horse stories. <laughs> just tell us your horse stories. Uh, we didn't get this one into our 
Gmail, but last week we were talking about The Dark is Rising and light and dark morality in, in fantasy books for kids. Uh, and our good friends at Two Bossy Dames, Margaret and Sophie, uh, went on a rant in our Slack channel. Not a rant. <laughs> I actually asked for it, so it's not really a rant. Uh, but they listed off a bunch of books that explore different types of morality, uh, some systems grayer than others. So I just want to give a couple recommendations from them. Uh, the Queen's Thief series, uh, work by Tamara Pierce, Edgar Eager's Half Magic Books, uh, Imaginary Girls by Nova Rensuma, uh, The Ar- Artemis Fowl by Ewan Colfer? Col- yep, that's, that's, what, pro- that's, that's how I'm going to pro- say that's that. probably right. Uh, yep, and uh, His Dark Materials is another one that came up. So... Some people put forward uh, Wrinkle in Time as a book about grandmas who traveled through time oh, yeah. in response uh-huh. to my question. I, I read that a bunch as a kid, but I haven't in a long time. Craig, have you ever read that book? I have. Those okay. grandmas are from space, and they're not the main character. <laughs> yeah. So what you're looking so for... So try again. Yeah. A good good try. Um, Basically, I'm looking for something that could be developed into a betty white vehicle that's really what we're looking for yeah like a a screenplay that betty white could star in yes about time grandmas so keep trying please (laughs) well she rejected my my pilot of time grandmas i will i will buy self-published amazon fiction if i can find my story about grandmas who travel through time uh, you can send those stories to our f- social media pages, twitter.com slash overduepod and facebook.com slash overduepod. I want to thank the host of folks who reach out to us using those this week, including Graham, Mr. J, Alex, Emma, Lucas, Alyssa, Catherine, Eugene, John, P, Elizabeth, Kate, Margaret, Sarah, Taylor, Sophie, Tysophine, Rebecca, Emmett, Susanna, Ken, Morgan, Lena, and Philip. <sighs> Thanks, everybody. Andrew... If they wanted to go buy like not um, self-published erotica on Amazon, or if they did, but they also wanted to buy like books that we've read on the show through Amazon, where should they go? Man, that was that was that was a diversion. Uh, they could go to overdue walk podcast. around the block on that one. Yeah, we they could go to overduepodcast.com, um, which, as Craig sort of implied, we have Amazon links to the books that we have read and that we're going to read. You can click those and buy them, and we get a little cut of that if you want to support us financially. Um, up there, you can also find links to iTunes and Stitcher and RSS. Those are the platform. Oh, and Google Play now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, those are the platforms you can use to subscribe to the show. Um, if you subscribe in iTunes, definitely rate and review us because it's, that's one of the things that helps us rise in the rankings and it helps people find the show. Um, also on that website, we have links to Spreaker, our podcast host, HeadGum, our podcast network. Uh, we have what a list of books that a list of episodes that we recommend new listeners. If you're trying to get new people into the show, uh, anything do else? that. Yeah. yeah do, do that. Go like if someone comes up to you that, you know, and is like, Hey, I like books. And you're like, but if you heard of podcasts, send them <laughs> our way. That's, uh, it's a great way for people to find out about the show. And it's probably one of the reasons that we've grown in the way that we have um but if you also want to kick in do you tell them about the patreon andrew no if you want to kick in a couple bucks uh, a month to support our show and keep it ongoing uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash overdue pod or find the link on our website 
and if you do five bucks or more a month, you can recommend a book that we will read on air. Well, not on air. What you know? What you li- you made it this far. We will you talk about I mean. how we read it on air. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah. So this this book actually was recommended by my mother in law. So hello. <laughs> I hope you liked it. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. All right, everybody. Craig, what are you reading next week? I am reading Jurassic Park. Oh, I'm so excited. man. Because you love that movie. I love dinosaurs so much. You love dinosaurs so much. Uh, okay, everyone. We'll be back next week with dinosaurs. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.